This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment, and this is episode number 37. And I'm calling this episode, What's Taking So Long? Now, on this episode, I have an excellent giveaway. It's a great book. You want to get this book. It's fantastic. This book is called 60 Hard Questions for Skeptics. And it's exactly just that. The book has 60 questions covering most of the main issues and objections that society has raised regarding Christianity. This is an excellent book. You want to get this book. Now, to get the book, you got to stay tuned during the show. I'm going to give you a code word, and you will text the code word to the Faith Experiment number. Get a pen, write it down, get your phone. Save this number into your phone right now so you are ready. The number is 4 453 That's it, 4 So save that number into your phone. It's the Faith Experiment number, and just wait for today's code word. You'll text the code word in, and you will get this great book, 60 Hard Questions for Skeptics, for free. Absolutely amazing book. Well, if you are new to the Faith Experiment, welcome. This show is about putting faith into practice. It's about experimenting with faith. And in the last few episodes, we've kind of started this little mini-series thingy. I'm not sure how long I'm going to go with this for. As long as I get questions, I guess I'll keep answering them. And it's based on your questions. And so on today's episode, I'm continuing this little series because I have an excellent question today. It's a absolutely, ah, oh, it's excellent. But so far in this little Q&A series, I have been answering all sorts of questions. I answer questions about connections between COVID and the end of the world. That was an interesting uh, episode. Check that one out. We talked about how Jesus dying on the cross actually saves us. We talked about why we need to confess sin to Jesus if he already knows what we've done. We talked about when will Jesus return? Is there a secret rapture in the Bible? We've looked at the COVID-19 vaccine and the connection to the mark of the beast. That was a good, good episode. We also looked at the topics of death. We looked at the topics of hell. What happens to babies when they die? What happens to cremated people? Whole range of questions that we've been looking at on this little mini-series. We started it all, of course, with that famous question that I got from Eva, which was all about, is the Bible trustworthy? And that was an excellent question, because as we delved into answering that question, we found the evidence for why we're spending any time studying these ancient manuscripts. We looked at it from various viewpoints, prophecy, science, archaeology, history, mathematics, and, of course, the impact it has on us personally. And we saw that from whatever viewpoint you take, the Bible provides evidence that it is, in fact, a supernatural book and it's worth our time to experiment with. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up some of the details... You can get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcasting section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it super easy for you to keep up to date with The Faith Experiment. 
So on today's episode, I'm going to be looking at just one question, and this is an excellent question. This question comes from Ben, and Ben asks, Robbie, I've been listening to The Faith Experiment for some time now, and I've really enjoyed the show. I've enjoyed hearing how you went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. But I have a question for you. The events that you describe taking place in your life took place almost 20 years ago. And a lot has happened since then. There's been wars and rumors of wars. There's been earthquakes. There's been famine and pestilence, floods and fire. All the things that Jesus talked about as being signs of his return seem to have taken place in the last 20 years. And yet it seems that we are no closer to Jesus's second coming than we were before you started your faith experiment. So my question is this. It's 2021. What is taking so long, Ben? Well, Ben, that is one of the best questions that I have been asked on this show. And it's an excellent question because I think there are plenty of people out there listening right now who are asking the exact same question, Ben. They're asking, where is this second coming of Jesus? Where is the evidence of God in the form of his return? The world's getting worse, and yet there doesn't seem to be any single difference when it comes to the promise of the return of Jesus. So, Ben, thank you for this question. I'm going to take the whole episode to explore this question from these ancient manuscripts. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'm going to jump straight into answering Ben's question about what's taking so long. So stick around. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au.
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and that was Anna Baden with Fill Your Lungs. And this is episode 37 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode, What's Taking So Long? And coming up, is the code word for today's free offer. So make sure you stick around. Now, on this episode, I am answering one question. Question from Ben. And Ben's question, in essence, is this. Robbie, you started your faith experiment 20 years ago. The world has gotten worse. There's been wars and rumors of wars, floods, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, fires, you name it. But what's taking so long? Why hasn't Jesus returned? So I'm going to spend this episode exploring the biblical answer to that question. So let's get straight into it. The Bible says in one of my favorite books, Revelation, it says in chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, referring to Jesus here. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Now, this text does not give any explanation as to why Jesus is returning. It doesn't give any evidence to support the claim that he is returning. It simply declares that he is coming with clouds. And as Ben has pointed out with his question, there has been a tremendous amount of stuff, in inverted commas, that has taken place since I began my faith experiment almost 20 years ago. But I want to focus in just on like the last year and a half, almost two years now, in the context of Australia. Think about this for a second. In January 2020, like how long ago was that? Not too long ago, but it feels like it was decades ago, but... January 2020, do you remember what was happening in Australia? We were we were inundated with a bushfire season like none other. Uh, it's a distant, vague memory now, but it was, 
you couldn't turn the TV on, you couldn't open up a news site, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about the Australian bushfires of January 2020. It was even internationally reported of how bad these fires were. So that was January 2020. By February 2020, I'm talking about in Australia here, the coronavirus thing became a thing. Now, we know it sort of was back in January and December, but in Australia, it hit our shores in February and we kind of went, ah, this, 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 what's this all about? This coronavirus thing. So that was February 2020. By March uh, 2020, we started to see our, our local Woolies, our local Coles, our local IGA, our Aldi running out of food, running out of toilet paper stockpiling, like on a scale that I've never seen in my 40-something years of life. Absolutely incredible stockpiling in March. So we had January bushfires, February coronavirus hit Australia, March we saw stockpiling, and then when we came to the end of March, 24th of March to be exact, we started to see unbelievable unemployment in Australia. You all remember the footage of... uh, lines of hundreds and hundreds of people lining up for Centrelink to get their their relief packages because of lockdowns, closing of businesses. That was March. Then in the same month of March in Africa, there were locust plagues of what they called biblical proportions. And then in April of 2020, the one of the worst tornado seasons in American history struck, all again in 2020. Now, Ben mentions about the increase of pestilence. Let's look a quick, quick look. Go back in time a little bit. Let's talk about pestilence. Pestilence is a is a plague. It's a disease. It's a virus. Do you all remember what happened in two thousand and three? I was I was only just a fresh new faith experimenter in two thousand and three, and the world was introduced to mad cow disease, a pestilence. And then at the end of 2003, I was traveling to the United States and they announced this thing called SARS in 2003. And people had, I had to wear masks in 2003 traveling through some of the international airports around the world, like Bangkok, Hong Kong, Tokyo. But it didn't last that long, but still there was SARS. And then between 2003 and 2017, some of that time I was in living in Asia, I was working in Taiwan. And we were introduced to this thing called H5N1, or more commonly called bird flu. Again, the masks came out. There were no lockdowns, but there were masks. There was temperature checks at airports because of these pestilence. And then in 2009, I was in Hong Kong, and Asia was hit with N1H1, which was swine flu. I mean, pestilence were increasing rapidly in that first decade of 2000s. And then in 2015, there was MERS, M-E-R-S, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, or COVID, but in in uh, Middle East. And then in 2018, there was an unbelievable outbreak of Ebola in Africa. And then, of course, 2019, we saw the introduction of COVID-19. So, yes, Ben, you're exactly correct. There has been an exponential increase of disasters in terms of the viruses and plagues and pestilence. But I'm going to go a bit further. Let's talk about some of the financial uh, changes in the world because we know that the Bible indicates that there'll be financial challenges for the world and financial control of the world 
before the return of Jesus. So let's look at some other examples. In, in 2018, in November 26 to be exact, the Australian Reserve Bank announced that they were going to introduce a new system called NPP, New Payments Platform, that would help move Australia towards a cashless society. You can read the article on their website, 2018, November 26. We'll fast forward to this year in March 2021, Seven News reported that Australia will be almost completely cashless within three years. Cashless within three years. And the big reason, COVID-19. COVID-19 is hastening the creep towards a cashless society published in February 2021 on The Spectator. And if we look at this whole social construct, this change of lockdowns, we, we've been introduced to this term that we're going to lock down this and lock down that, lock down this, and people will just go, yeah, okay, we're going to lock it down because it's the safe and it's the right thing to do. Society is changing. Absolutely, Ben. Your, your question is spot on. Things have rapidly developed since I began my faith experiment 20 years ago, continuing on in the changes even in the last four or five months. In August, on August 5th of 2021, the New South Wales government introduced this, this thing. This was on ABC or reported. It said the New South government is to consider no jab, no work policy as an incentive. Well, that's old news now. They were considering it. Now it's become reality. The Western Australian in July published no jab, no fly, Qantas backs vaccine for overseas travel. Well, that's now become reality. No jab, no entry. Sydney Morning Herald reports. On September 15, society has changed dramatically, Ben, in the last 20 years. There's no doubt about it. And it's not always for the best. Sometimes we might think it's the best, but it's not always the best. And then we have, we have world leaders coming out making these sorts of statements. Pope Francis, he came out and he said this, I quote, We can no longer remain silent before one of the greatest environmental crises in world history. Speaking of climate change, Pope Francis is saying we, we can't stay silent. We need to be vocal. And then in light of the pandemic, this crisis, this current crisis, the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, he states the pandemic presents a rare but narrow window opportunity to reflect, reimagine and to reset our world. Unbelievable. Now, you also mentioned, Ben, hey, earthquakes have happened. Well, there's been a lot of earthquakes in the last 20 years, I can tell you right now. There was the great earthquake of 2004 that hit that, caused a tsunami and hit most of Asia. There was the earthquake in Japan in 2011. I was living in Taiwan when that one hit. And, uh, yeah, it devastated the whole region there. And then even here in Australia, there was the earthquake just recently here in Victoria. Earthquakes are, are happening all around the place. So, Ben, you're right. The earthquakes have increased. Society is changing. And then... Talk about tornadoes. New South Wales has had tornadoes in the last few weeks. What about volcanoes? This year alone, in April, there was the volcano in Guatemala that erupted, a volcano in Hawaii that erupted in October this year. If you look at the current erupting volcanoes in 2021, there's 16, 16 volcanoes erupting. Unbelievable. So, but Ben, excellent question. What's taking so long? We've seen an increase in just about every every space and every sector. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And you would think that in the 20 years since I've become a faith experimenter, with things getting so bad, surely, surely, Jesus should have come by now. Well, it's something short break now, but when we come back, 
going to jump straight into these ancient manuscripts and I'm going to give you an explanation as to why Jesus' return is taking so long. And coming up is today's code word for this excellent giveaway, this little book with 60 questions. You really need to get it, so stick around. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. Lord, I offer up this rebel heart So stubbornness, so restless from the start I don't want to fight you anymore So take this rebel heart and make it yours Father, I no longer want to You've broken my resistance with your love And drowned it underneath the crimson spill So bend this apple heart into your will I give it over to you
You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and that was Lauren Daigle with Rebel Heart. And this is episode number 37 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode, What's Taking So Long? And coming up is the code word for today's free offer, so make sure you stick around. So in this episode, I am answering one question that comes from Ben. And Ben, in essence, asks this question. He says, I've loved the show, Robbie, but 20 years ago you started your faith experiment. So much has changed in the world. There's wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, fire, flood, famine, society is getting worse. So what's taking so long? Where is Jesus? If his signs are fulfilling, where is he? And as I've said, Ben, this is one of the best questions I have received, and we are going to unpack it from the Bible right now. Before the break, I shared with you, in agreement with what Ben has said, it seems like things have just got exponentially worse. We looked at how, just looking at pestilence, there's been an increase of pestilence and plagues and viruses in, in the past 20 years. Society, as we know it, has completely transformed. We're, we're now comfortable with unelected officials having absolute authority over what we do in our lives. These health officials determine whether we're locked down or not locked down. We now have these emergency health health powers forcing people to take medical procedures. It's absolutely unbelievable. And yet the question is, well, if this is all happening and it's getting so bad, then why hasn't Jesus returned? Where is his second coming? So, Ben... We're going to dig deep now into these ancient manuscripts, going to unpack what is taking so long. I want to take you back to Jesus himself, because if there is anybody who knows a thing or two about what he said and what he meant and how he is planning to return, it's Jesus. There's no question about that. And so we're going to pick up the story and the teachings of Jesus in that last week that he was walking on the earth before his crucifixion. In that last week before his crucifixion, we learned so much about Jesus' understanding. We learned so much about what Jesus is desirous of his followers to do and to be while he is gone to prepare a place for us. So let's unpack that now. In the Bible, we have four what we call Gospels. And these four Gospels are the life and teachings of Jesus. And for those who don't know, the word gospel comes from a Greek word, which if you were to translate it literally into English, it would mean good news. And so we have these four books called the good news books. There's the good news book of Matthew, who is a disciple of Jesus. The good news book of Mark, the disciple of Jesus. The good news book of John, the disciple of Jesus. And we have the good news book of Luke. Now, Luke wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he was a follower of Jesus, and he worked closely with uh, Paul and Peter. And so he decided to write out the good news in a chronological fashion, and that's what we call the Gospel of Luke. So we have the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four books, the life and teachings of Jesus. When you take these four books as a collection and you explore the the sequence of the teachings of Jesus, you find a complete picture. If you just look at one book by itself, it doesn't have all of the depth and dimension and all the information for each individual encounter. 
that Jesus has throughout his ministry here for those three and a half years. So in that last week of Jesus' life, by comparing Luke and Matthew, we get a, a very interesting picture of what Jesus did. And it helps answer the question that Ben is asking, what is taking so long? So let me summarize it this way. On the Saturday night before the crucifixion, so approximately a week, just under a week before the crucifixion, on that Saturday night, Jesus and his disciples are staying in a little town called Bethany. And they're staying in the house of Jesus' friend, Lazarus, and his sisters, Mary and Martha. So everybody's staying in this house in Bethany. Now, Bethany's about three-ish, three-and-a-half kilometers away from Jerusalem on the east side. So that's Saturday night. Sunday morning, this is the last week of Jesus' ministry. On Sunday morning, Jesus wakes up, gets the disciples, and says to them, we're going to Jerusalem. So they start walking down the M1, so to speak, into Jerusalem. And as they start walking, it's only a short walk. It's like three and a half kilometers. But as they start walking about a kilometer or so away from Bethany on the way to Jerusalem, there's a tiny little town called Bethage. When they get there, Jesus says to two of his disciples, go down such and such street and such and such a district, and you're going to find a donkey and its colt. Untie them, bring them to me. If anybody says anything, tell them that the Lord has need of it. So these two disciples, they start walking to this, uh, this, this specific spot to get these donkeys. And as they're walking, they turn to each other and they say, wait a minute, Jesus is asking for a donkey. Jesus is asking for a donkey. Now, Jesus hadn't traveled on any animal, any cart, any chariot, anything in his entire ministry up until this point. And for the first time, he's asking for a donkey. So these disciples go, this is really unusual. What's going on? And then it clicks. They remember the prophecy in Zechariah, which says that the Messiah will come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So these two disciples get super excited, as you can imagine. And as they are on the M1 into Jerusalem, there is a multitude of people on the M1 as well going into Jerusalem because they're heading into Jerusalem for Passover. So the disciples start telling, these two disciples, they start telling the multitude, Jesus is asking for a donkey. Jesus is asking for a donkey. Everyone goes crazy because they know what that means. The Messiah will ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. By the time these disciples bring the donkey back to Jesus, there is excitement beyond belief in the atmosphere. And from Bethage, down over the hill of Mount, well, the Mount of Olives, we call it, down through a place called Gethsemane, you arrive into Jerusalem. And on that journey, it's about a kilometer and a half from Bethage down to the temple. On that journey, everyone who's anyone is there. And they're taking off their coats, they're throwing on the ground, they're pulling palm branches off the trees, they're waving it, and they're calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. Now, they're not singing some praise song, the top 20 Christian hits. They're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Because in Hebrew, Hosanna means deliver us, rescue us, deliver us, 
rescue us, son of David. And son of David is a direct reference back to Messiah. So the people who are on their way into Jerusalem that happen to be there at the moment, that the disciples make this proclamation of this fantastic news, this good news, that Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the raiser of the dead, Jesus, the friend of kids, Jesus, the friend of sinners, that Jesus is about to ride a donkey into Jerusalem which appears to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah arriving. And so the people say, rescue us, Messiah. Deliver us, Messiah. Now, who are they asking deliverance from? What are they asking to be rescued from? Well, in the context, it's from the Romans. The Romans are the suppressors. They're the evil people here. And this is the entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus gets into Jerusalem. The religious leaders of the day say, hey, tell everyone to be quiet. Jesus says, nope, because if I do that, the stones will cry out. This is Sunday, the last week of Jesus's life. After that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus looks around and then walks back to Bethany, three and a half kilometers. And he stays the night at the same house in Bethany on Sunday night. Monday morning, he wakes up with the disciples, leaves the same house in Bethany, and walks back down the M1 into Jerusalem. Now, I'm answering the question, what's taking so long, Jesus? It's been 20 years since I started my faith experiment. What is taking so long? Believe it or not, this is the answer to the question. So Jesus gets to the temple and he cleanses the temple out. You all know the story. He gets the whip and he whips out all the people with the money tables and change tables and all that stuff. When he does all that, Monday night, he returns back to Bethany. He stays at Bethany again. Tuesday morning. Remember, this is the last week of Jesus' ministry before his crucifixion. Tuesday morning, Jesus leaves Bethany again with the disciples and he makes his way back to the temple in Jerusalem. Another three and a half kilometer walk. When they get to the temple, this is where they start having this this conversation. And Jesus makes this profound declaration that the temple will be destroyed. The religious leaders are horrified. The disciples are shocked because if he's Messiah, then how could the temple possibly be destroyed? This is Tuesday. After this temple debate has finished, Jesus returns back to Bethany. And as he leaves Bethany, uh, leaves Jerusalem, and he walks back out past Gethsemane, back up the hill to the Mount of Olives on his way to Bethage before he gets to Bethany, the disciples stop him on the Mount of Olives, and they turn to him because everyone's now left them. It's just him with the disciples, and they ask him a question. And I want you, if you have a Bible there available for you, or you got your phone or the Internet, Look up this passage in Matthew chapter 24. We're asking ourselves, Jesus, what's taking so long with your return? Ben asked, Robbie, you have been on this faith experiment for almost 20 years now. What's taking so long? Well, this is where the answer is found. In Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says in verse 3, it says, Now as he sat, this is referring to Jesus, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? There's those same questions that we're asking ourselves on this episode. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Now, Ben, you have identified some of the the terminology from this particular chapter, Matthew 24. Wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and so on. Jesus does something profound. After the disciples ask the same question that we're wanting to explore right now, Jesus responds 
in verse 4, and he says to them, Take heed that nobody deceives you. He doesn't answer anything that they've asked, but he says, Hey, listen, you want to know when these things will take place? You want to know what will be the sign of my return? You want to know what the end, when the end will be? You want to know? Be very, 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 very careful. Take heed that nobody deceives you. Well, the Sunday short break. When we come back, we're going to look at what Jesus says next and try and find an answer to Ben's question, which is, what's taking so long, Jesus? I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen. This is episode 37 of The Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode, What is Taking So Long? And coming up is the code word for today's giveaway. So make sure you stick around. On this episode, we're answering Ben's question, which is what's taking so long? As in, Jesus, what's taking so long with your return? Now, we've seen that there's been an absolute change and shift in the world in the last 20 years, whether it be in the environmental, whether it be in the social, whether it be in the economic, whether it be in the political, whether it be in the religious. The world has shifted dramatically in the past 20 years. And Ben's question is valid. What's taking so long, Jesus? After all, what, what don't you want to come back? What's taking so long? And so to answer this question, we've gone back to Jesus' last week before the crucifixion to find out are there any clues in that last week of his teaching. And before the break, I shared with you how that as Jesus on that last week made his way back and forward every day from Bethany down to Jerusalem, back to Bethany and back to Jerusalem, each time he went to that temple, there was another piece of the clue that's going to help us understand the answer to Ben's question. On Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem with the crowds crying out for him to rescue and to deliver them from the Romans. And they acknowledged him as the son of David, as the Messiah. On Monday, he cleansed out the temple, removed it from the defilement. And then on Tuesday, with a bunch of debating between him and the religious leaders, he makes the claim that that temple will not stand. It will be destroyed. And we left them before the break on the Mount of Olives where Jesus was sitting privately with the disciples. And the disciples turned to Jesus and asked, Jesus, what did you mean? When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus responded immediately by saying, take heed that nobody deceives you. Now, I want you to notice if you have your Bible still open in Matthew chapter 24, I want you to notice what Jesus says next. We just saw in verse 4, he says, Take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5, he says, Because, or for, many will come my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There will be deception from those who come in the name of Jesus, or they call themselves Christian. They're ambassadors for Jesus. Verse 6, You will hear of wars. That's what Ben quoted from in his question. There will be rumors of wars. But notice, Ben, what Jesus says, he says, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. See, notice, sometimes people get excited when they read these passages in prophecy, and they think that if they can count the number of wars, the number of earthquakes, the number of famine, pestilence, and that somehow that will give them the clue as to when Jesus is coming. But Jesus makes it very clear, there will be wars and rumors of wars. That is not the end. 
And then Jesus continues and he says there will be nation rising as nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence. That's your COVID-19. That's your mad cow disease. There will be earthquakes in various places, even in Victoria. And then verse 80 says all these. So what are all these? The earthquakes, the famines, the pestilence, the wars, the rumors of wars, nations rising as they, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. So we're not sitting here as followers of Jesus looking to see what the tally score is for the number of volcanoes, the number of earthquakes, the number of pestilence. We're not doing that as followers of Jesus because Jesus says these things will be and that is not the end. In fact, in verse 8, he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. Then Jesus says in verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Verse 10, and then many will be offended and betray one another. And they will hate one another. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And verse 12, and because lawlessness or iniquity, which is rebellion, will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And then verse 13, he gives us this clue. He says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So notice this. None of these signs, which if you ask anybody who is remotely familiar with the Bible or some, you know, apocalyptic biblical movie from Hollywood, most people know or they think they know that if There are earthquakes increasing, natural disasters, pestilence, all that stuff, wars, rumors of wars, bloodshed, fire, famine, all that. If that stuff is increasing, then somehow that's the indication that Jesus is coming. But I want you to notice that Jesus makes makes it very, very clear in this passage that none of that is the sign that the disciples are asking for. They ask for what is the sign, singular, not signs, plural, singular. They ask what is the sign of your return. And Jesus lists all this bad stuff. Don't get me wrong. None of this stuff is good. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, nations rising against nations, pestilence, earthquakes, false Christians, false Christs, false prophets, persecution, no love for one another. None of that is good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But none of that, Jesus makes it very clear, is the sign that the disciples are asking for. He actually says, this is not the end. The end is not yet. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And then he makes the point, this is the beginning of sorrows. So what's the sign, Jesus? The disciples ask Jesus, point blank, give us the sign of your return. So Jesus does. Notice what the Bible says in the very next verse, verse 14. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. The Bible says, and this good news, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you notice that Jesus did answer their question? Jesus gave them the single sign, not multiple signs, single sign as to what will be the indication that Jesus will return and that will be the end. He gives it to them. In verse 14, he says, the gospel, we know the gospel means good news, The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed or preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So if you want to know, Ben, when the end will come, the answer is really, really, really simple. 
It's when the gospel of the kingdom goes to all the world. So most people, when they hear this, most Christian people, when they hear this, they think, oh, yes, when the preaching of the gospel goes to all the world, then the end will come. But they fail to see what Jesus actually said. Jesus didn't say when the good news is preached to all the world. Jesus said when the good news of the kingdom is preached to all the world. And so the question is, what does that mean? In today's society, in the 21st century, especially in Western society, we have no concept, generally speaking, of this kingdom concept as the disciples would have understood it being Hebrews living there in that first century. Because when Jesus uses this expression, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom is the good news. It's not some arbitrary gospel. It's the kingdom. That is the good news. And that's what's to be proclaimed. And so the question is, what does Jesus mean by this kingdom? Because that's the thing that's going to indicate when the end is here. What's taking so long? Well, let's have a look. If you were a Hebrew person or a Jewish person living in the time when Jesus used this terminology, there'd be five things that would come to mind immediately when you heard the kingdom, that expression, the kingdom. For a Hebrew, the kingdom was a, a a veiled reference to the promised one's arrival, the Messiah, the coming king, the son of David. That's the first thought that comes into the mind of a person when they hear the kingdom. Ah, oh, the promised one. Yes, he will come, the son of David, the Messiah, he will come. The second thing that is connected to this idea of the kingdom for a Hebrew is the reason why the king comes. Because you can't have a kingdom without a king, so you need to have a king to have the kingdom. But the reason you need the king is because the king in Near Eastern um, ideology and theology and all the rest of it, a king has two functions. He is to be a rescuer and to be a provider, or we could say a redeemer. You see, when kings existed, not like we have today, their function was to provide and protect their citizens. If someone challenged the kingdom, the king would go out and fight. The king would ensure there was plenty for all of his subjects. And so for the Hebrew, for the Jewish person, there had been no kingdom for hundreds of years. And they were looking for the promised one to come, the king. And the reason they were waiting for him is because they were waiting for him to redeem them, to rescue them from their oppressor, the Romans. And they were wanting him to be their provider, to reestablish the kingdom. The third thing that comes to mind for the Hebrew or the Jewish person when you hear this idea of the kingdom is the rule of law. You see, when there's a king on the throne who's protecting and providing, he's also the judge. And the judge judges based on the rule of the kingdom or the constitution of the kingdom. And so for the Hebrew mind or the Jewish mind, when they hear this idea of the kingdom, it's the establishment of the law, the constitution, the rule where justice prevails once again. That's why the tax collectors were so despised, because they went against the rule. That's why the sinners were so looked down upon, because they were transgressing the constitution of the kingdom. Now, they were zealots, these Pharisees, but they were hypocritical as well. But nevertheless, in this idea of the kingdom, 
there was the first idea of the king, the promised one coming, because he would rescue and redeem them. He would restore justice based on the rule of law and the constitution of the kingdom. And fourth idea that comes to mind is the people, the citizens, the subjects, who, of course, in the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, was them. And the fifth and last thing that's connected to this idea of the kingdom is the place of the kingdom, the territory of the kingdom. And so when Jesus makes this expression, when the good news of the kingdom is preached in all the world for a witness against all nations and then the end will come, this is really the message that would have appeared in the mind of the first century audience. They would have heard Jesus say this, when all the world will hear the good news, the gospel, that the king has come, the promised one has come, the Messiah has come, the son of David has come, to rescue and to redeem, and that his kingdom has a constitution that brings freedom and justice, and he's looking for a people to be his citizens and to dwell in his territory, that's the kingdom, when that good news of that kingdom, when that message has gone to all the world, then the end will come. That's what Jesus is essentially saying here in Matthew chapter 24. So when we ask this question, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? Why aren't there, why isn't Jesus coming when there's so many earthquakes, so many famines, so many pestilence? Well, it's very simple because Jesus doesn't give any of that as the evidence that he's coming. Of course, it will get worse before he returns. It has to naturally. The longer sin has control of this planet and the hearts of people, the more evil it will get. That makes good sense. It's not good, but it makes good sense. So naturally, it's going to get worse. The love of many will grow cold, as Jesus put it. But Jesus said this is the one sign that when it has happened, then the end will come. And that is when the good news that I am the promised king, when that good news has gone to all the world, in connection with why I have come to rescue and to redeem and to provide, when that good news has gone to all the world, and when people understand that I am a God of justice, I am a king of justice, I have a law, I have a constitution, and that is restored, that message is understood, and then when people understand that I am looking to make up my kingdom with people, subjects, I don't care if they were prostitutes, I don't care if they were drug addicts, I don't care if they were, they were uh, publicans, I don't care who they are or what they were, I want them to be subjects in my kingdom. And when the message of the territory that I've gone to prepare for them, the place I've gone to prepare for them, when these five aspects have gone to all the world as a witness, not to say that they're all going to believe it. You don't have to believe a witness. The witness just testifies, so at least you've had a chance. When that has gone to all the world, Jesus says, then the end will come. So the question, Ben, that you're asking is, what's taking so long? I'll tell you, it's really, really simple. Jesus is waiting for the good news of the kingdom of God, that there is a promised king who has come. He is a rescuer from sin. He is a redeemer from sin. He is a provider. And he has a, a, a an attitude of justice. He has justice based on the constitution of heaven. The lifting up of the law of God to invite all people of all nations into this kingdom as subjects and citizens and that he's gone prepare a place for us 
when this good news has gone to all the world, then the end will come. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, there's more to this, and maybe I'll pick up some of this on the next episode. But there's more to this, because Jesus doesn't explain how this gospel will go to all the world. This gospel of the kingdom will go to all the world. Jesus doesn't explain it in this passage. You have to wait until he's being crucified and resurrected to get the answer. And we'll, I think I will. In fact, I make a promise. On the next episode, I'm going to unpack this, this second part of this question. This first part is, what's taking so long? Well, it's very simple, Ben. Jesus is waiting for people to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he's waiting for. And you might ask, well, well, why is he why is he waiting so long for that? Well, there's a little promise that God makes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says this. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, Jesus is waiting as long as it takes to ensure that no one is lost without a chance. If Jesus had to come back 30 years ago, what hope would there have been for me? If he'd come back three years ago, what hope would there have been for Janice or George or Peter? People I know who have recently made decisions for Jesus to become subjects of his kingdom. Because when they heard the good news of his kingdom, they were excited. So Jesus is waiting because he's not slack. Now, I'm going to pick up the rest of this, I think. I think I will. I'm making a promise. I said I would. On the next episode, I'm going to unpack this gospel a little bit more. Gospel of the kingdom. How is it going to go to all the world? We'll talk about that in the next episode. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have this great book called 60 Hard Questions for Skeptics. And it's a great book because it helps you challenge the challenger. It helps you open up issues and keep conversations going with those who are challenging and have objections to the Christian faith in light of what's happening in society today. So you absolutely want to get this book. You can get this book today by texting the code word hash FE37, hashtag FE37. Three, seven. That's a hash symbol or pound symbol, followed by FE for faith experiment, number 37 for episode 37, hash FE37. That's it. Text that to the faith experiment number 04888845311. That's 04888845311. And the Faith FM SMS bot will respond to you and we'll get this book to you as soon as possible. Well, that's all I have time for now. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. 